You're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey, back with another episode of Conversations for the Health of All Things. And today I'm joined by Dr. Ronke Dusumu. She's a pediatrician from New Jersey and currently doing more work in business coaching. Her company is called Maven CEO, and she helps professional women thrive at leadership and entrepreneurship without sacrificing their personal health and family commitments, which sounds like a perfect reason to be here today. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me a little bit about your story, both into medicine and then maybe how you ventured now into business. Oh, thank you. Um, So I started as a pediatrician, I trained as a pediatrician in um, an inner city hospital in Northern New Jersey. And at that time I noticed that there wasn't good quality care for the residents of that community. So when I finished residency, I went essentially within a year of finishing residency, I decided to start my own practice where I could actually solve the problem that I had identified. So that was my first entrepreneurial venture. Uh, Subsequently, there were many other problems that I saw in the community that needed solving. So I did become, initially I was an accidental entrepreneur. I became a serial entrepreneur while running my practice and starting other businesses. My practice still runs. It's 25 years old this year. I have uh, over 10 other ventures that I've started. And um, recently I discovered that my passion for business was better was better satisfied by actually helping other women build their own businesses. So as a pediatrician, I noticed that a lot of uh, moms, um, the the career choices and the professional choices that women make has a direct impact on their family life. So I decided to do this to actually help them balance while thriving in business. That's fantastic. And I see so many directions we can go with this. And what I hear is you're supporting the health of your patients on such a broad scale by not yes. only seeing them in you know, the clinical encounters, but noticing what can impact their health outside the treatment room and how you can be part of that. Tell me a little bit more if we can go back to those earlier stages when you saw other challenges in the community. And we talk in osteopathic medicine about removing obstructions to health. What did you see as some of those biggest barriers to your patients actually getting to the health you and they wanted for them? Well, You know, there were a few barriers, but the top ones that I noticed was access and acceptability. So there were clinics in the community, but they were not accessible in terms of the hours that they were open. They didn't have evening hours. So if we had a working mom, she had to choose between going to the clinic or taking off of work. And sometimes these were single moms that could not afford that. The second one was respect. I didn't see a respect for the patient's time. 
and a respect for what they held dear. I didn't see them being spoken with or, you know, their conditions explained to them in a matter that was consistent with the respect that I thought that they deserved. Yeah. And that's so important because that can block everything, right? So we might Mm. think someone's non-compliant, but if they can't get there at the right time or they don't feel well received when they do arrive, that can really obstruct your capacity to engage with your Mm. physician. And what were some of the key solutions you found? So it sounds like your practice was one of them. Yes, my practice was one of them. Um, so right away was important to me that we had evening hours. And this was 25 years ago when it was not common. It was important mm-hmm. that we had evening hours. It was important that we had weekend hours. It was important that we were reachable. And, you know, with time we've evolved and with technology, we've done many other things. We've changed the way we, we communicate. Right now we ask people to text us because we deal with pediatrics. Our, our, pa- our patients are younger and so they really do not like to talk on the phone. So we've had to adapt to the times, you know, and incorporate texting and all these other things that sometimes can be challenging for physicians to incorporate into practice. Yeah. And those practical measures are really important. You know, we talk about wellness in healthcare for the people providing healthcare and things like that, you know, how you actually adapt the technology can be so helpful in reaching your patients and creating that relationship. How about guaranteeing respect? Is there a way you made that kind of at the front line of your offerings in your practice? Yes. So uh, as, as, as a business coach, actually, and a business owner, I believe that the owner is the leader and sets the tone. So it was very important to me to set that tone of respect in the way that I spoke with my employees, in the way that I treated my patients. And that also played highly into who we hired and who we retained. We made it very clear that the patient's opinion mattered and you know we would not tolerate you know disrespect of their time by making them wait too long, you know, or even in the way that we're being spoken with. And did you have tools you utilized in hiring? And that's so helpful all across the business spectrum to either train it or reinforce it or remind your staff of what that looks like. You know, how do you have those check-ins to keep people on track in creating that environment? Mm. Yeah, that, that's a very important question. We didn't have, initially, we didn't have formalized tools. It was just in the interview process. We were very careful to hire for attitude. So that was the key. People, a lot of people have um qualifications but it was more important that we hired for attitude so the 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 way so so the interview process will actually start at the front desk so the way this person treated the receptionist when they walked in the way they spoke with the receptionist if they were polite if they were on time if they respected our time because if they couldn't be on time they would not respect the patient's time so those were some of the things that we did at the hiring process Mm -hmm. that's so important and we often think Like you said, the CV is what matters the most, but we can often train skills, right? We can train some of those more practical pieces, but we need some of that inherent, you know, awareness to actually Mm -hmm. be there from the start. And so as you're in this practice now, 25 years, that's amazing and innovative from the beginning. When did you start to make those steps out of, I won't say just clinical practice, because it's certainly plenty, but from that original framework, when did you start to step outside that realm? I think that really started really quickly. So within three years of, of starting my practice, I started another business, which was complementary. So I, my practice is in a place where we have a lot of a, a big immigrant population. And I started noticing that the children and the parents were coming back with tropical diseases because they were not getting travel health services. So I did start 
uh, that business that provided travel health services to parents and children if they were traveling abroad to developing countries. So that was one of the things. So it started really quickly and it just progressed as I noticed more needs and I didn't see the availability of those solutions. I, I decided to provide them. Mm-hmm. And how do you maintain the capacity for that? So it sounds like you're a master noticer, right? So you uh-huh. see the need and also a solution creator, right? So it's not only you identify it, you check to see if it exists. And if it doesn't, you fill that gap. And so how do you make sure you have enough reserve to do all those things? That's a really important question, especially for entrepreneurs. Um, burnout is real for physicians in clinical practice. You know, actually, I think that being a serial entrepreneur is one of the is, is one of the solutions to burnout, okay, in my opinion. <laughs> because I think sometimes just doing the same thing over and over with no outlet or creativity enables burnout. So for me, that was one way to, to prevent burnout. But in terms of capacity, how, how am I able to do all of this? Very quickly, when you start any kind of business, you have to do what you do best and find qualified, talented people to delegate to. So structure, systems, processes, hiring right, and delegating is my answer to that. I love that. And that's so perfect because one of our tenants in osteopathic medicine is structure and function are interrelated. And so in order Mm. to have it be a functioning practice or business, you have to be really diligent about how you structure it. And I love that you notice that you're at the top, you're at the leader, and you're able to delegate not only the tasks, but the culture and the attitude throughout your business as well. So what came next? This is such a fascinating story. So you have the (laughs) clinic, and you have after, you know, hours, and then you have tropical disease services, then what intrigued you? All right. So the next thing that intrigued me was the lack of um, clinical research in the minority populations. Um, I did go off for a while and worked for a pharmaceutical company um, involved in clinical research. And after that, I was able to become a principal investigator and actually bring research to my site, um, you know, which was another solution to another problem mm-hmm. that I saw. So that was what came next. And um, Right now, business coaching, I think, has to be my final business because my family, my family thinks I'm doing too much. So with mm-hmm. business coaching, which is my current passion, which yeah. I think brings together all of the skills and, you know, the, the lessons that I've learned from everything that I've done, um, I can live vicariously through other people's mm-hmm. business success. That's great. And what a brilliant idea. It's kind of your capstone project, right? And yes. <laughs> you get the continuity of seeding all these other businesses and seeing them grow. So you can still have your ideas, right? They can still be there, (laughs) but they manifest perhaps in in even a more elevated means of delegating. Yeah, that's right. And so I'm curious, if we stop at the research space, did you find any key recommendations? How did that influence your own practice and the community? Because what I am hearing is you've had a big presence in the community where you are and changing the lives of those people. Did you find recommendations that were able to be extrapolated out? That's been a big challenge and it's still something that we're working on. So the very first step in solving most problems in a community setting is awareness. So we're really working on bringing awareness to the community, changing mindsets. Mindsets are really difficult to change. There have been long-seated distrust and mistrust of the system. So um, trying to deal with those, we're still in the very early stages. It's not a, a quick thing by any means. Right. We have to have that long vision, but you mm. went through the training, it's happening. And so we'll yes. look forward to see what evolves from that. Even making the effort to be there, right, at least shows the dedication to the community that I do want to see what's happening and get yes. some meaningful data so we can make those recommendations. That's so powerful. 
So tell me more about this business journey and what that looks like, how it began and how it's evolved. So Maven, Maven CEO started as, um, as an opportunity to do something that would live beyond myself, an opportunity to leave a legacy. So I think that for, for many women, actually, when you become a middle-aged woman like me, you start thinking more legacy, you know, so I've lived a life where I've contributed to my society. I think I've made some impact, but then it's important then to live legacy. So I was looking for something that could extend beyond myself. And this is how this came about. So sort of seeding, like you said, into the lives of other people, into businesses that would outlast me, you know, mm-hmm. to teachings that people could pass on from generation to generation. So that that is the reason why I, I started Maven CEO. Yeah, that's amazing. And as we look at what have been some of the obstructions there, what have been the hurdles you've had to overcome in moving into that space? <laughs> it's it's a very different kind of business from the other ones that I've done in terms of the fact that, you know, as physicians, we're natural coaches. I mean, this is what we do. We coach families. But I think that we coach families that come to us with, with Maven CEO. It's it's a different uh, it's different because I you, you have to put yourself out there more. You know, you have to do a whole lot more than you would do with the patient that comes to you to your practice that you coach. So it's taken me out of my comfort zone. It's helped me uh, know that I need to develop my speaking skills. I need to develop, you know, all kinds of skills that I had from being more of a one-to-one person, but to be heard on a, on a bigger stage, you know, that's mm-hmm. the stretch. Yeah, that is totally different. And how do you create that sense of attraction, right? That's really what we're doing, you know, and, and we put ourselves out there as an entrepreneur. What do you find has been most successful for you? How people have found you that's resonated most with them? I would say friends and family, you know, like in the pediatric practice, friends and family refer to you the most. But I didn't think of that when I started this business. I thought it was something that, you know, you'll broadcast to the whole world and then people will come that don't know you. But the truth is that the the closest circle to you are still the people that know you and trust you. Excuse me. And people need to know, like, and trust you to want to do business with you. So Mm -hmm. your friends, your inner circle, you really need to work your network, which hopefully by now, you know, you, you have a significant you know, a good network. So you need to work your network and the referrals come from that network. So it's not going so wide into the whole world. It's going deep with the network that you currently have. Mm-hmm. And that's so helpful to remember because like you said, we think, why would we ask our family? You know, we're not going to bother them with this or, you know, it's too close, but they can make those recommendations, you know, from a wholehearted place, even if there's a little bit of friendly bias in there, you know, it can be helpful <laughs> for people to offer that up. What do you do as a coach? You know, so we've been talking about coaching on various episodes here, but what does coaching look like for you in the business world? What would you say are some of those key features of coaching? Hmm. So coaching in the business world is very similar to life coaching. You know, the reason why most people don't start businesses is fear. Fear is a problem in life coaching and business coaching. That's the number one reason is fear. The next is people think that they don't have the time the resources and the knowledge that they need, you know? And and so it's really getting the mindset focused on what you have. So I like to start with skills analysis, you know, take an inventory of everything you've learned. You know more than you think you know. You have more than you think you have. So the first stage is really getting over that mindset, that hump 
Once you're able to get over that hump, then the rest of it is teaching people the systems, the steps that need to be taken step by step, leading them through it. Mm-hmm. And that's so important. And we try to skip that. We want to just have that list, you know, tell me what to do and I'll do it. But we can't just execute if we're caught up in all of these thoughts that are hindering us from doing that. And have you had a coach work with you through this time, through all these different entrepreneurial endeavors? Actually, I didn't have a coach for all of my other ones. I recently started using, actually, before I started this coaching business, I started using a coach and it showed me the value that's inherent in having a coach. It's a, it's a way of learning without going through the school of hard knocks. You can learn from mm-hmm. other people's experiences. You can work out, you know, on a roadmap that's set for you. And it's also an accountability partner. It's someone that motivates and inspir- inspires you. So it's mm-hmm. a really important thing that everyone should have one. Mm-hmm. And I find that too, and just like in medicine, we want to take good care of our own health when we're speaking of that to our patients. And in business, we want to have that same experience to come from a place of knowing that if I'm going to offer coaching to demonstrate how it has actually worked for me. And what are some of the most exciting projects if you're allowed to talk about them? What are you seeing emerge as you're encouraging women to thrive in their own entrepreneurship? I think this year has been as bad as the pandemic has been. I think it's been a wonderful year for women for the, for, for one reason women have been home and they have learned to work around their home life. And that is so important. You know, I, I tell women the, 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 this current workplace wasn't designed for women and women have done all kinds of things to be able to fit in. You know, they've made all kinds of adjustments, you know, put a, a pumping room, a breast pumping room in the office, all kinds of adjustments to fit women into a, a world that was not designed for them. But with the current chaos, there's been an upheaval and women have that opportunity to rebuild the workplace, to to rebuild the workplace architecture and landscape in a way that uniquely suits them. That's so encouraging. And I love to hear you name that. For me, you know, I used to work typical office hours, you know, eight to five, and I've shifted things, some because my clinic closed with the pandemic. And then I decided to stay home and work from here. And I find I do better work later at night, you know, so I'll have more of the day to myself. And there was a time when I even just recently felt really guilty about it, thinking I should be doing more earlier. But then I thought, no, I can choose, right? I can decide when my hours of productivity are. And like with your clinic, I often find that it's helpful that I have late hours for those other moms, right? Who want to be coached after their kids are in bed and we can meet each other there. And it's, it's been so refreshing to know that there's room to shift that design. Yeah, absolutely. What I'd like to talk about is this latter part of your mission statement. We'll look at it that way for right now without sacrificing their personal health, just taking out those few words, because of course, we're talking about the health of all things. So how do you encourage that? And what does that look like? What might some of the boundaries be that people can recognize being breached to keep them there? That's a good question. I think that especially for female professionals, They juggle work and they juggle family commitment so much at the detriment of their own health. So most people will make sure their children, if they have children, get the right um, health services that they need. But they may not necessarily get their own mammogram because of lack of time. So women tend to sacrifice their own personal health first and then ultimately they also sacrifice their family commitments with the long commute that they have so they they 
prioritize in a way that is detrimental to their health. They put their health last. And that is not something that is sustainable. And eventually you get, you know, you get burnout, you, you get uh, mental, you know, mental consequences, depression, you know, you get, you get all kinds of things. So then you get women exiting uh, executive positions before they get to the C-suite. So this is actually mm-hmm. at the root of many problems. Yes. And so are there some practical steps? And I also imagine some mindset work that happens to help people preserve their personal health and family commitments. Absolutely. So it's all about planning. You know, when you have a certain amount of time, so everybody has the same amount of time in a day, but if you, what you prioritize and schedule gets done, uh, people tend to do the same routine. I wake up at eight, I get rest, I go to work. So that gets done. But those mm-hmm. things that are not never on their schedule never gets in. So the first thing is priorities. List, write and list your priorities. Once you have your priorities written, schedule them, put, get them on a schedule and recognize that if you do not take care of this one body that you have, you cannot take care of anything else. So everything has to fit into your life, into your health. It should not be the other way around. Yeah. And what helps people decide that that's actually possible for them? Yeah, so you might think, nope, there's just too much to do. Right? And that's this barrier thought. How are you able to get them over that hurdle to recognize it's worth it and possible to fit the things you actually want to do into your schedule? I think for most people, they don't get to that stage till something drastic happens, either a health scare, a layoff, a a broken relationship. Unfortunately, most people don't get to that stage till something drastic happens. So, but I think that talking about it, the more we talk about it, the more women come earlier, or even men come earlier to reprioritize their lives before a a tragic outcome. Mm -hmm. And I love that really leans into the preventative care model, right? So we don't have to wait until the tragedy happens. We can actually put these in place and we can't prevent everything. We can mitigate a lot that could really derail us from that movement forward. I love that. I'd like to ask you, because I hear it so much in your whole mission from the practice forward, how you're supporting mind, body, spirit. You know, so we think about health in that way in osteopathic medicine, and I know it's not just limited to osteopathic medicine with your patients or even with your current clients, how do you hear that come up and how do you speak to each of those for them? So, you know, for a long time as physicians, we we focused on the body to the exclusion of the mind and the spirit, but humans are one very complicated machine. Mm -hmm. And if one doesn't work, if one part is broken, the other part will be broken. So it's very important to educate. It's all about education. You know, if you're stressed, you can get certain diseases. If you're stressed, you can get obese. If, Mm -hmm. you know, and the connection, it's really the education of people from a holistic point of view. And I'll take it back to to my business coaching. You know, I have a lot of friends that are middle-aged women. And actually I trained, I trained, I went to medical school in Nigeria where the retirement age for women is 55. Mm. So I have a lot of friends that are getting that are retiring at 55 and they're getting depressed because they don't know what to do with themselves. So actually giving people an opportunity to pursue the passion they've always had. They've always wanted to do something, but because of time constraints or other constraints, they never did it. Actually giving them a purpose for something they were passionate about and helping them do that actually elevates their mind and Mm -hmm. then elevates their spirit and their body as well. Gives them a reason to live. Yes, that's amazing. And are you finding that to be your clientele? 
people moving through that phase of life and a kind of a reinvention opportunity? I'm finding that to be my client base. And I'm also finding that these women are telling their adult children, don't wait till you get this age to do it. So mm-hmm. it's working both ways. So that's primary. And then they are referring the secondary clientele. So it's working really well. And I think that these women, these women actually thrive. And, and, and you know, studies have shown that businesses started by, by women in middle age actually do better. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. And having that perspective you know, having had the experience, but also still so much time and energy and creativity remaining to utilize. Yes. That's a really great opportunity. And I love that trickle down effect, right? So the next generation doesn't have to wait that long to tap into that. And what I hear in there too, another tenet is the inherent capacity for self-healing. And I often like to think about just the amazingness we have within, or I could put it into even less clinical terms. What do you see with that? What do you notice that comes out when you open this door to say, you could do this, right? You could be an entrepreneur or a leader. What do you notice that emerges from that space? I notice a spark in the eye, a joy in the heart, and the mood change. And that inherently is medicine for the soul. You know, Mm -hmm. it, it changes people when, first of all, they feel useful, valued. They feel they can still contribute. It brings them alive. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful. I hear in there, like business can be medicine, you know, so we have a lot of times and I even personally have had some, you know, strife against the system and, you know, is capitalism killing us? There's all these questions, but business can be therapeutic, you know, and it can be an invitation to expand yourself and hearing you speak of it that way changes it. It's almost a love construct instead of this, you know, just transactional experience. How do you nurture that with people is it natural just when you open up that space or are there other ways because you speak about it so beautifully so, so because for me every business i've ever started has been the solution to a problem the way i approach business is you are providing a solution to someone else's problem. And I think the desire rests in all of us to make a difference. And so if with this business, this product or this service you're offering, you're providing a solution to someone's problem, even if that solution already exists, you're providing it in a way that is unique only to you, providing it in a different way, in a personal way. I think that's motivating and inspiring and it helps people to see that they have they still have a lot left to contribute. And it, it actually mm-hmm. makes a difference. And, you know, I, I tell people, I, I'm not a big, um, I'm not a big not-for-profit business coach. I, mm-hmm. I, I think that pro- for-profit business doesn't have to be profit crazy. Profit doesn't have to be money. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're making a difference in somebody's life, that's an advantage. That's a gain. That's the definition of profit. It's not always money. You are making profit by benefiting other people. And the joy that comes back to you is your profit. Mm -hmm. That's really amazing. And really speaks to me because I often struggle between that, right? Whereas the service, and I think coming from medicine, we can get hung up on that. Should I be charging? Is it okay to take money from people with this? And, And instead just saying, there's service inherent, right? And just that exchange when I'm solving a problem, even the revenue can be for good. It makes it sustainable, right? Mm-hmm. And it makes it possible to have more outreach. And for you, having had a successful pediatric practice, right? Almost allowed you to then be able to step into these other ventures. And so it's okay yes. to hold space for that. Yeah. 
And how about for you in your life? How do you nurture your body, mind, and spirit? Do you have any particular favorite activities or must-dos, non-negotiables each day? Yes, I do. So I always start the day with a time of devotion and quiet time in prayer. That's really important to me because that helps to set the stage for the rest of the day. I try, even though I'm inconsistent, to have to follow that up with time of exercise mm-hmm. and follow that up with time of learning. So I love podcasts. So mm-hmm. I sometimes I do that while I'm exercising. Sometimes it's something it's it's after exercising. But those are the three non-negotiables in the morning. Mm-hmm. I love that, and I hear you living your mission as you said. This may be your final venture into business because your family has given you some feedback. How do you notice that, and how do you? interact with them and create boundaries that are agreeable together for your own family commitments? That's a good question. It's very important that whenever you're starting a business or growing a business that you protect family time. Otherwise it can take you over because it's your baby. It's your passion. You're on it 24 seven for my children. My children are now adults and my children sort of grew up with the pediatric practice. So when they were younger, I didn't have that many patients. So it Mm -hmm. worked well. And as they grew, we had more patients. But now with this venture, they are grown adults. So they actually help me in scenes. So I discuss it, even though it doesn't take over all of our family conversations, but I do discuss my business. I bring them into it and they're able to give me very valuable adult type feedback from Mm -hmm. a different perspective and a different generation. So protecting family time while still, um, having your family part, you know, contribute, I think both ways are really helpful. Mm-hmm. I, I like to go back to the old days when, you know, parents and children worked together in the family business. The kids went to school and came home and contributed. And that was sort of, it, it was just a holistic way of living. It wasn't separated into, you know, you go to work, you come back. And you know, the, the people lived at work and worked at home. Or, you know, mm-hmm. that's how it was. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And getting that perspective and also trusting them to be a little bit of the reflection or the canary in the cave when they say, hang on, seems like that might be too much. Mm. And while we're still allowed to make our own decisions, having that possibility shown to you, hopefully in a loving and kind way, right. To to demonstrate. So when they say that to you, how do you feel when they say that? And how do you make that decision to say, okay, yes, this will be the final one. (laughs) That's, that's a good question. Actually, for me, it was very hard to hear, but uh, the way they did it, it was a planned family intervention. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so w- when they came at me, uh, you know, the first thing I said was, okay, let me think about it. And I had to go back, you know, and actually take their feedback into consideration and say, okay, I hear what they're saying. I understand where they're coming from. But for me, what would work best? What could I do to still honor them and still be true to myself? And then I made a decision that would, you know, be a good balance. Mm-hmm. That's such a great point. And I talk to physicians about this when they're thinking, can I stay in the system and work? You know, they want me to do all these RBUs and surveys and it doesn't line up with their mission in medicine and finding those ways, if it's possible to do both, right? What are your core values? How can you live into those and actually find a win that supports the other mission as well that doesn't compromise that? And there are ways we can get creative. And sometimes when there's not, we decide to depart from that system like you did sounds like very early on in your clinical practice. And so that's so powerful to say, I hear what you're saying. I hear what your need is. I know my values and let's find a way to actually match them up. And you could mm-hmm. still live into your dream here in this yeah. last iteration <laughs> of the business. I love that. And so as we come toward close here, I'd like to hear, and we 
been so many examples, but I'd like to hear your version of how you see yourself for the health of all things. Hmm. So the way I see myself is as someone that tries to bring everything together, not living life in compartments, but living holistically where your work life, your personal life, your family life, your spiritual life, all coexist, all live in harmony together. And that would mean that, first of all, you're true to what you really believe, you prioritize what's important, and then you go for it. You do what you want. You, you make commitments and fulfill them. So profound. And just visioning that. If we each did that, and then we're all doing that together, what, what an amazing experience that would be. So thank you for influencing the lives of your patients and now in all these different businesses. I think that's going to be so encouraging to support the health of all things in so many ways. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, please share with my audience where they could find you if they want to learn more about your practice or Maven's CEO, your website or handles or any of those information. We'll post them also in the show notes. Yes. Uh, so if you, you can reach me at uh, the website address, which is www.mavenceo.com. We're on Facebook, Maven CEO. Uh, same on Instagram handle is also at Maven CEO. So you can reach us those ways. Uh, you can send me an email info at mavenceo.com. Um, if you're in Northern New Jersey, my pediatric practice is called foundation pediatrics. Um, if you're in the pharma world or the clinical trial world, you can also reach me at foundation pediatrics. It's in East Orange, New Jersey. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. This was great. And I look forward to future conversations. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been great speaking with you. hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone who you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.